hand to all the mothers. Man. It's an endless job, a tireless work. We're honored to have all the mothers with us here this morning. Good morning to you all. How are you doing this morning, church? Um, we went out to see our son and daughter-in-law and our first grandbaby, little baby Jane. She has strong lungs. <laughs> and it was a, a blessing to, to be able to, to hold her. And uh, I think of what's going on in our nation, in abortion. I just cannot fathom that. I just cannot with the precious little child. And so uh, thank you for your prayers. And we had a great trip. And here we are back. And uh, just a, a couple of uh, shout-outs, announcements. I want to say thank you to Paul and Lisa. Great weekend last weekend. Let's give them a hand. A couple's night. Paul and they shared. We love you guys. And thank you. Uh, tremendous uh, uh, blessing and leadership here. And those of you who came out to help clean up yesterday, <clears throat> in the wind, tornadic wind, and uh, um, I picked up trash that I know was 20 years old because I looked at the date on it. <laughs> so the city will be happy. Uh, but thank you. Thank you all to that. And then also, uh, I want to give an announcement here just uh, about Pursuit Night, what's happening this week. And the ladies, uh, May 12th, which is Thursday, starting at 6.30, but I believe there's some fellowship from 6 on, and, um, you know, we have three powerful guest speakers, Chris Wagner, Angie Gergen, and Stacey Dagey, and they're going to be speaking on the topic of God's promises, so we're excited about that, especially if, you, if you're a lady. You know, if you're a woman, this is an impactful time for women, coming together in worship and spiritual impartation and fellowship. Can you say amen? You know, for a period of time in my life, um, <clears throat> I was uh, a man trapped in a woman's body for about nine months, and then my mom had me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on, you got to laugh this morning, amen? <laughs> so even though I don't qualify for the ladies' event, if you're a lady who's also trapped in a lady's body, we'd love to have you for that event. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> Are you awake now? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word going forth. I humbled myself before you, and I recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say, but through the power of your spirit right now, the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon your people, those that have tuned in online, we pray special blessing on them, wherever they may be, overseas, internationally, here stateside. We pray your blessing upon them all. It's in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 I'm just going to talk briefly here this morning about a Mother's Day message. And this is a unique message. It's a little bit different than a, a typical Mother's Day message. And you'll see about that in a moment. My text is Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And I want to talk about moms and where a lot of times moms uh, feel like they don't measure up. They don't measure up. And with the task that is before them. I'll just read Matthew 1, 6. The historical record of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. 
Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David, then King David, uh, then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. You know, now didn't that text just bless you ladies this morning? <laughs> what? Some of you are looking at me like he read the wrong text. <laughs> he, okay, now he's trying to straighten it out and smooth it over. And no, that's the text I have for you this morning. Um, you know, a lot of preachers will be preaching today from Proverbs 31. How many have ever heard of the Proverbs 31 woman? Okay. <laughs> I remember in Bible school, you have international students, and one of the things in Bible school as a man, you're always looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. And uh, so I'm going to read a little bit of the Proverbs 31 woman. And this, this is what you know, the guy, guy he Proverbs, she Proverbs 31 woman. And so Proverbs 31 verse 10 uh, we'll start at that. Who can find a capable wife? Wow. An excellent wife, another translation says. A virtuous woman. Uh, one says, one who is spiritual, who is capable, who has intelligence, and who is virtuous. Uh, one commentator says, a truly good wife is the most precious treasure a man can find. And I would say amen to that. Amen to that. But who can find a capable wife? Then it begins to list some things. Are you ready? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool, flax, and works with her willing hands, and she is like the merchant, ships bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night, provides food for her household and portions for her servants. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments. She delivers belts to the merchants. Wow. Strength and honor her clothing, and she can laugh at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and loving instruction is on her tongue. <laughs> she watches over the activities of her household, and she is never idle. Her sons rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Wow. What a Proverbs 31 woman. That's awfully quiet in here. When I think of Proverbs 31, I think of what Liz Curtis Higgs, speaker and encourager to women, said this of women. The ideal woman was described 2,500 years ago in Proverbs 31, and she is still intimidating her sisters ever since. <laughs> Os Hawkins, author and speaker, said of this of women. He said, this wonder woman gets up before dawn, stays busy until early hours of the next morning. We have developed a mental image of her. She has the looks of a movie star, the domestic abilities of a master chef, the stamina of a world-class athlete, the intellect of a professor with a PhD, the tenacity of a political operative, the wisdom of a godly missionary, the sensitivity of Mother Teresa, the business sense of a Fortune 500 executive, the grace and the etiquette expert, and spirituality of the Virgin Mary. Wow. Then he concludes, no wonder so many mothers leave church feeling down on Mother's Day. <laughs> and I thought about that, that comment caught my attention. What about the mothers that are asking, in light of what I just read, you know what, uh, I don't feel like I measure up. I, what if I don't quite measure up to this Proverbs 31 woman? In other words, is there any hope for me? Can God use me? And really, this really isn't just for mothers, it's for all of us. Can God use me? You know, what? all of us have times and circumstances in our lives when we ask this question, is there any hope for me? Is there any future? Can God use me? 
can God take me with all of my flaws, my sin, and sometimes my lack of faith and my past pain, and can he take that, and can he use that? Well, I believe we find our answer in the text that I just read to you earlier. And you might not have noticed it, but in our reading, we find the names of four women that I read in this genealogy, four women. All of them were mothers, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and though unnamed in this text, we know her name uh, 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 to be Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Now, very quickly, I'm just going to go through four of them, and then I'm going to conclude with three points here. So if you're taking notes, number one, Tamar. We find her story in Genesis chapter 38. Now, let me just tell you that there is not a soap opera that is out there that has ever been on television that is worse than this story. Here's the condensed version of it, if you're ready. Tamar is the daughter-in-law of one of the 12 sons of Jacob, Judah. Tamar was married to Jacob's uh, first son, the oldest, Ur. And the Bible says in Genesis 38, uh, as we would say in a New England accent, he was wicked bad. And Ur died without Tamar having a child. Then, according to custom, Tamar is then given to Judah's second son, Onan, in order to carry out the custom of the day and father a child with her. He doesn't, so he dies. You can read about all that. I won't get into that. Then Judah, father, he's concerned that his third son, Shelah, he's also going to die. So he doesn't allow that marriage. So without child, after Judah's wife dies... I'll tell you, it's going to get deep. Tamar, Tamar, excuse me, does the unthinkable. So she dresses. Are you here this morning? Yeah. <laughs> are you paying attention? Some of you ought to wake up because it's going to get deep. Uh, she dresses like a prostitute and propositions her father-in-law. Uh, she, she, she disguises herself and then, or anyhow, well, getting all that. Um, she takes, she says, I want something from you. So he gives her staff signet, some, some items. Three months later, he finds out and looks and says, she's pregnant. So according to custom, this is terrible. This is an atrocity. So she needs to be burned, burned at the stake. And, uh, and she says, well, the father of this child is the one who gave me these items. Well, we know what just happened right there. How many know that this sounds really crazy? I remember the Phil Donahue shows in the inside. Remember uh, Geraldo Rivera, and they took the chair, and they busted his nose. I mean, I remember that back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, this is what this sounds like. This is bizarre, but it's in the Bible. So the Bible talks about these things. So he takes her up on the offer. So finally we see she bears a son. And so a couple of words describe to our story. This is unbelievable. And number two, this is very desperate. You know, often in our life, desperation causes us to make bad choices. I'm going to say that again. Desperation causes us to make bad choices, bad decisions. You know what? I just have to be married at this age. My biological clock is ticking if I don't get married. Come on. Come on. I'm right here with me this morning. And so, <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, hey, she's pretty. She looks good, but she doesn't have any character. He's so nice, but he's not saved. God is not even on his radar. But you know what? I can win him to Christ. Got awful quiet in this church here this morning. <clears throat> Desperation causes us to make bad decisions. Tamar, Tamar made one, even though she thought herself justified in doing so. Quickly, number two, Rahab, second woman in Matthew 1. Rahab, we find her story in Joshua chapter 2. 
It is Rahab's house that is used by the spies, now watch this, to scout out the land of Israel before entering. So that is the house they went to, and so she protected them. She, did, she, 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 she put them in a safe place up in the, up in the roof area so the, uh, they couldn't find these spies, and so she protected them. So now we know Tamar was a one-time prostitute, but the Bible says Rahab, when they meet her in Joshua 2, she's a full-time prostitute. In fact, that is how she described, is described in the Bible, Rahab the prostitute. Is everybody doing okay here this morning? Often, often in Scripture, you find descriptions of occupation of a person's name. So an example would be Matthew. He's the tax collector, for example. Peter and Andrew, they're fishermen. Well, we have Rahab identified as a prostitute. You know, incidentally, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And someone once said, the fruit of your life proves what's inside your heart. Ouch. Amen? Yeah. In Joshua chapter 2, <clears throat> uh, we don't even learn that this lady had any children. But now we learn that not only did she have children, but she also gave birth to Boaz, who would actually marry Ruth further on down. So what does Rahab represent? She represents the kind of person that cannot dodge his or her past. Even though she may be restored and she is repentant, someone or something is always there to remind you of your past. Am I speaking to anybody here? How many of you know when God forgives you, you're forgiven? How many of you know when you confess and you repent authentically, God says he takes those sins and he casts them as far as the east is to the west. He buries them in the depth of the sea. And many of you still, especially some women living under judgment and condemnation, but you've repented and that is not God's spirit, that is the enemy. Amen. Can I get an amen? All right. <clears throat> Just wanted to throw that in there. So there's always going to be people out there. They're going to remind you of the one time you messed up or the one time you said something you shouldn't have said something. Am I speaking to anybody? And so you need to get past that. So Rahab is one that the person that kind of reminds us that, hey, she's trying to dodge her past. Number three, quickly, Ruth. And some of us are probably more familiar with Ruth's story. There's an Old Testament book named after her, Ruth. Her story is a story of tragedy. And verses 1-1, we see this famine, famine that leads to death, death of all the men in her immediate family. That is tragic. Back then especially, very tragic. And then her husband, her father-in-law, and then her brother-in-law. And so then the tragedy allows us to see her devotion to her mother-in-law returning to the land of promise. But I want you not to miss something here about Ruth. Ruth is not an Israelite. She is from the land of Moab or the Moabites. Uh, the Moabites, the tribe of Moab, uh, which was actually the sons of Lot. Now, worse than being from the wrong side of the tracks in town, as we might say, she was from the wrong line of people. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? The Moabites were from a line that started actually in incest and were a notoriously pagan and ungodly people. So like the Moabites, some people cannot shake their roots. And they try, they rise up. This happened to them. Maybe there was abuse. They get on prescription drugs. They can't seem to get, am I speaking to anybody here this morning? They can't seem to get free. Their past just keeps hounding them and pounding them. And they, you know, once in a while you see a breaking forth and, and he's like, wow, I see, I see freedom in your life. And it's like they're drugged right back in that. Am I speaking to anybody here this morning? You know, I think about this thing about the wrong sides of the tracks. And oh, we don't have that here per se. There's a lot of comparison, but the, the, 
in America, but they have caste systems overseas. And we traveled a lot to Sri Lanka, different races. And, and in Sri Lanka, the, the majority uh, is the Sinhalese and the minority is the Tamils. And uh, there was a time where the Tamils, the mi uh, minority, they actually are a little bit more darker skin, more from India. And they're more predominant in the northern part of Sri Lanka. But 80% of the country is made up of the Sinhalese and a little bit more lighter, even though they have dark skin, lighter uh, than the Tamils. And uh, they had to, they, the Tamils had to wear specific attire. And sometimes they were, in a season, they could only beg on the street to make a living. Um, they were restricted from certain schools. They could only drink uh, from uh, uh, certain uh, water fountains. And actually, at a time, they, they talk about that they could only drink water from thrown-out coconut shells. Why? Because they didn't want them to contaminate drinking glasses. That's a caste system. How many know that's demonic? How many know, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, all of that is done away with? Amen. But still, mindsets and strongholds over nations. Galatians 3.28 says, Neither is there Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Peter said in Acts 10.34, he said of this truth, God is not a respecter of persons. So Ruth is an example of how God can change a life and take it in a direction from brokenness to blessing. Can you say amen? And then finally, we see a Bathsheba. Most of us know the story. Some of you may not go back and read that. But it said this, that it was the time for kings to be out at war. You know, how many of you know that there's a time to fight spiritually? And there's a time where you're refreshed? How many hear what I'm saying? People that think they're in constant spiritual battles all the time, there's something wrong. I mean, we should not be in constant warfare. Now, I know things have been ratcheted up in our nation. And I know things, you know, Satan knows that his time is limited. And he is unleashing all of hell. So I, I, I get that. But how many of you know, uh, I remember this one time, someone won this contest of painting, uh, the picture of turmoil. And it was a picture, people all submitted all of their, their photos. And this one that it was, it was a picture someone drew of a tumultuous river and rapids. It was dangerous. It was high. And there was a, a little baby bird asleep in some little basket going down the river. And I just think that, you know what, you could be in the midst of turmoil and still have God's peace. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And so, so, you know, it's not that we live life that, it, but, but to have constant day in and day out, you need to reevaluate some things. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So I'm going to say about that. So Bathsheba, it said, it was the time for kings to be out at war. So David should have been out with the army, leading the army, should have been in battle, should have been leaning in. But he's on the rooftop looking, and he's wandering. And his eyes are wandering. And, and so in that day, a lot of times the showers and math were on top of the roof, the heat. And anyhow, blah, blah, blah. He sees her, and bad things happen. That's all I'm going to say about that. You could read about that. And so <clears throat> we're most familiar with that. And she sins with King David. And, and then he actually has her husband killed. And, and there's a prophetic. Uh, Nathan comes and judges that whole thing. And so there's a whole... But um, it's really King David's sin. But how many of you know it takes two people to commit adultery? Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. So there you have it. So Matthew, watch this, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit when he writes. This isn't just thrown in there as some accident. This isn't, he is writing about what? The genealogy of Jesus Christ. So I want you to get that. And so all of these ladies, you would say, probably, probably, you know, people, you say, well, they got a checkered past, you know. And uh, these women, 
are listed and mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So what can we learn from this? Very quickly, how many know there's hope for all of us? <laughs> Amen? Your worst situation, there is hope in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so some spiritual truths, especially ladies, you moms of Mother's Day. Number one about these four women, stop comparing yourself to others. Yeah. Yep. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10:12. when we compare ourselves to others, we are unwise. One translation says we act foolish right. or we are a fool. She looks this way. I don't have that look. He's this way. He's kind of this. And we compare ourselves. They have this. I don't have that. The Bible says that is unwise and that is foolish. Now, here's the problem when you compare yourself with others. When you compare yourself with those with whom you would consider better than you, what's going to happen? The result is going to be pride in your life. Okay? When you compare yourself with those with whom you consider less than, the results will be covetousness and envy in your heart. In either case, the Bible says the comparison leads to sin. James 3.16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will always be, watch this, disorder in every vile practice. Remember we talk about households, constant warfare. Maybe there's some of that possibly going on in your life. I don't know. There's something you need to seek the Lord about. Jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There's always going to be disorder in every vile practice. That's heavy. So don't do that. Stop comparison. Number two, stop allowing your past to control your future. I know it was easier said than done. That may take uh, <clears throat> getting counsel. Let me just say this about counsel. Counsel is good. Every couple should have counsel. Did he say that? My wife and I have had counsel. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have counsel. Every couple needs counsel. Everyone needs an outside voice to bring. Come on now. I'm trying to bring, I'm bringing some meat and bones here right now. Every couple, not, well, we're good. We don't need to. Like somehow you have a plague like leprosy if you have to go to a counselor. Hello, I don't have all the answers. Neither do you. If we have more people that would seek godly counsel. Okay, godly counsel, I think, you know, we'd be able to handle things a lot better. Right. Hey, hey, I don't know why, but I got off of that for a reason. Stop allowing your past control your future. Um, Philippians 3.13 says, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize. That is something that we are to forget what's behind, forgetting what's behind. Sometimes that, that's going to take, and I'll talk about that here in a moment, about renewing our mind. But it's hard to forget things especially when they're, hear me, a stronghold. How many of you know why they call it a stronghold? The reason it's a stronghold, and it's called that because it is a stronghold <laughs> on your life. And it's not easy to break, but the power of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, can set you free from strongholds. I'm preaching better than you responded this morning. Maybe the sun isn't out today, but it's light in here. Amen? Isaiah 43, 18. Bible says, forget the former things, do not dwell in the past. That is something I had to come to a place in my life of victory. Always bring up the past, bring, bring up the past. And some of you, you know, that's not a big issue with you, but for some people it is. Bring up the past, and those things become wedged. The Bible says, he that repeats a matter separates close friends. He, he, uh, amen. He, he, well, I remember when you this, or you always this, you always that. That sounds like it's a marriage counseling message here this morning for some reason. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and and so, so don't let your past control your future. Amen. Yeah. Okay? 
confess your sin. Humble yourself. Claim God's forgiveness and righteousness to cover your sin, to wash you clean, and then live in that freedom. How many know we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups? But don't let Satan use those things against you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are to take charge of our thoughts, taking captive our thoughts, bringing our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 says, why? How? By casting down imaginations. You know what that is? Unless you have the word of God in your spirit man or spirit woman, you're going to let those thoughts fly in your mind and you're going to act according to those thoughts. Amen. So but when you know when something comes, and this is where counseling comes, this is where a godly spouse can help tremendously. Tremendously. That's not your right thinking. Well, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, there has been multiplicity of times my wife had the word of the Lord for me, and I was thinking, goofy. Did he say that? I just said that. And all you men would be like, <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Come on, are you with me here this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. Don't let, let Satan use those things against you. So how do you, how do you take captive? You know, very quickly, maybe we'll talk about this, Lord will, in the weeks to come. Recognize your thought life. What are you constantly thinking on? Now listen, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points without sin. So what happens is Satan, he drops, it's like seed. How many have ever did a broadcaster for seed on the lawn? You know, this is a season, you know, you broadcast. Seed just goes everywhere. And so Satan, how many know that he doesn't sleep? He doesn't need to get eight or nine or ten hours. Neither do his demons, right? But you need rest. And he's attacking, he wants to attack 24-7. So he's broadcasting seed everywhere. You don't have to let that seed rest on your head. But unless you recognize and know what that seed is, you won't understand. And your, your past can control your future. So number one, you need to recognize your thought life. Number two, you need to question the truth about your thoughts. Did you get that? Every thought you have is not true. Well, of course, Pastor Mike, I know that. But how is your behavior? Are you acting and walking according to your behavior? That comes a lot from your thoughts. Are you with me here this morning? I believe you're thinking. The Spirit of God is penetrating so you got to question the truth about your thoughts. And then, you know, you use Scripture to, to give you the truth, and, and that's why it's important. Watch this. I'm going to say it again. Until the day I die, you need to have a constant unfilling of the Word of God in your life outside of Sunday morning. Yes. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Outside of that, that means tomorrow morning, afternoon, evening, you got to get in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Oh, did he say that? Yes, he did. And I can say that, and I've been saying that for 20, 30 years almost in ministry. And still you meet some people, how is your, you know, how is your word reading? Ah, I'm so busy. Ah, come on, somebody. Amen. So you got to get that, you got to get the word of God in you, feeding in you. Podcasts are good and learning and all that, that that's all good, but you've got to have time with the word of God in you. And here's the thing. This goes back to God uses the godly spouse to help you in this, help you in this. And when our thoughts are changed, watch this, our feelings are changed, which in turn changes our behavior, right? And say that again. When our thoughts are changed, 
our feelings are changed. I just can't get over this, this situation, this feeling. So, but if your thoughts were changed on that, and I know this, this quote, what I'm saying is true. I've had this in my life experience. And I've had it where my thoughts would not change and my feelings would not change in a situation. But in turn, changes our behavior. Amen? So, enough on that. Lord will, maybe we'll get into more of that weeks to come. Uh, just to give you proof of God's grace, we have great examples of God's grace in this ancestry of Jesus. He's the one who died to provide us the grace to be saved, was born into the world. So we have a long line, and he has, uh, we see all these people that experienced his grace. And then number three, start being the person God has called you to be. What do you mean by that? Romans 6, 1 to 11 says, grace, and I'm just going to put this, I put this in parentheses. Grace, somebody show grace, grace, which is the power over sin. Grace, which is the power over sin. How many know grace is not a license to sin, but freedom to live a new life? Uh, I, I'm going to say that again. I'll keep it real simple this morning. Grace is not a license to sin, but freedom to live a, a new life. To live a new life. Our union with Jesus has freed us from the dominion of sin to live a new life. That's what the scriptures teach. God's grace does not give us a license to continue in our sin. How many know you heard this? If you fall, fall forward and get back up. You will never exhaust the grace and forgiveness of God if you draw near to him. Right? Are you with me? So a revelation of grace will never produce a licentious, immoral lifestyle. On the contrary, it will set one free from all sorts of sinful lifestyles. Right? That's a revelation of God's grace. So we see, as I wind down here, <clears throat> and we are reminded too, especially in Rahab's story, she serves as a reminder of, uh, of this truth when confronted with the truth about the one true God. The Bible says, Rahab announced, for your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So it seems to be the beginning in her life, her faith journey. A faith journey that the Bible says the writers of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.31 spoke of. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith. Here's the thing you need to know. Everyone in that chapter had a messed up life. <laughs> you know, if you ever just think, am I, am I going to, you know, it's a great message for a funeral of someone had a messed up life. Because it lists in Hebrews 11 the men and women of faith. And then you go down and go, wait a minute, Abraham, I'm, I know what he did. I, Moses killed a guy. I mean... Every single one of them. Well, she's listed. Amen. She is listed in that. And it says it's by faith. Somebody shout faith. faith. Rahab, the prostitute, name, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who were disobeyed. And when the apostle James, and he actually goes on and James was explaining the connection of faith and works. Watch this. How many know we walk by faith, not by sight? How many know works don't get us into heaven? But how many know that there are actions, there are behaviors? All right? So just don't think like, well, it's all God. It's all God. No, your will is involved. Yeah. Amen? Your, I got to say that. Your will is involved. God is just going to jump on you and make you obey. You have a choice. To, amen. Aren't you glad I'm back? Amen? And Rahab is an example of one who displayed her faith by what? James 2.25. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute. There it is again. Not justified by works too, but when she received the Hebrew spies as guests and protected them and sent them away to escape by a different route. Wow. Praise God. Stand with me if you would, please. 
you know, pastors have a lot of problems, but two problems, especially. Persuading, to persuade unbelievers they are under the dominion of sin, but also persuading believers they are not under the dominion of sin. Did you get that? Those who don't know the Lord, Satan has power over your life. But those that are been set free, that are born again, you are not under the dominion of sin. There's where that condemnation comes with the enemy wants to beat people up. So, moms, maybe you felt, well, feel like a quite, you're a Proverbs 31 woman. Didn't feel like you're not measuring up. I want you to be encouraged today. <laughs> In the genealogy of Jesus, we have four women that you can read through and go, I didn't get anything out of that. But now you know four women, some pretty checkered past. God used all of them. Did you hear that? God used all of them. They didn't let their past dictate and determine their future. Come on, somebody. You know, the people that are going to come in in this season of harvest are pretty broken. They're beyond broken. They don't even know, many of them, what sex they are. Come on. They're confused. And they have checkered past. But how many of you know God can turn things around? And he wants, to, he wants to strengthen you. So don't let the enemy beat you up about your past. Hallelujah. And, and once again, this is a message just for women. It's for men also. It's for moms, all of us. With every head bowed here this morning, I just want to challenge you all. Two things. Number one, if you don't know the Lord, this is a great time for you to, to get right with God. I don't know everyone here, but most of you all have some guest visitors. And those watching online, and you say, Pastor, I've never, I've never really accepted Christ in my life. I mean, I believe in God, but I've never surrendered my life to Him. I've never... I've never asked God to, I didn't know he could really even come into my life, save me. I've heard the term born again, but you've never made that choice. You never made that decision. I want to encourage you today. Today is a great day for you to surrender your life to Christ, to begin the pathway of God's purposes for you. You're feeling, you know, just know your life is not going in the direction. And, and you are feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit even now. You may not identify it, but that's what it is. He's asking you to say, you know what? You need to pray this prayer. You need to surrender your life. That's you here this morning. I want to lead you in a prayer. You're not joining this church, but you are joining the family of God. You are receiving eternal life. You're receiving God Almighty into your spirit man or spirit woman. That's going to live forever. That will live forever when this earthly body fades. You're here this morning, maybe watching online. Is that I need the Lord? I need God. Pray with me. Say this. Say, Jesus, I believe. Died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. I believe you saved me. I give you my life. Now take it. In Jesus' name. Friends, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, the Bible says you are born again. The Spirit of God has come inside your spirit man or spirit woman. 